All right. Well, welcome back to the CASA Advocacy Update podcast. Joining me is Alex Clark. I'm Logan. We are here to go through a whole lot of advocacy news, articles, calls to action, things happening, legislation, harm reduction today, Alex. Lots of fun yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Big fun. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good fun. Fun times had by all. Yeah. So um, I hope you're doing well today. Happy Valentine's Day to you and to everyone out there listening. Um, have you had a, a nice Valentine's Day so far today, Alex? Um, I guess so. It's a, my wife and I have been together for more than 10 years now. So I, I guess we're supposed to be keeping the romance alive. Um, I, I, I made keto friendly crackers for, for our brunch. Cool. So that was, that's the first meal. And then I'll be baking something later, something with chocolate and probably heart shaped. There uh, you go. See, that's awesome though, man. Um, yeah, mine, I ordered breakfast and lunch today. Nice. <laughs> I did my Valentine's Day shopping this morning. <laughs> and, uh, and my wife is on her way out the door right now to head to work. So, um, yeah. but Valentine's Day is also my oldest's uh, birthday. Uh, she's 11 today, uh, which is exciting. The big Happy one. birthday. Yeah, yeah. The big one, one for her. So that's always exciting. Valentine's Day is like this kind of, it's one of those things where as like a couple, when you have for anybody out there who's also the parent of a valentine's day baby you they they kind of take priority today you know what yeah. i mean and then it used to be she's since switched jobs and hours and things like that it used to be like valentine's day night was kind of our night you know once the kids went to bed we would do movie or whatever kind of me and her have our time valentine's day night uh but now she's she's gone so the rest of today is just me I'm in the Lonely Hearts Club over here for the rest of the day on <laughs> Valentine's Day. Uh, but I hope everybody's having a wonderful uh, day today. I mean, today, technically for everybody listening, would be Monday. So I hope you all had a wonderful day yesterday. See, even yeah. I need help in the time machine sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time pretending that it's uh, Monday in this one. I am I am watching the race. I am, I am NASCAR fan. So, <laughs> I know. Um, Alex, you... Alex, like he started the show and he's like, if you see me looking in different directions while we're doing this. I'm on the edge of my seat right now. It's race day. <laughs> yeah, if you if you hear any oohs and ahs and groans, that's me. Because, I mean, we're 15 laps into this thing, and a third of the field just got taken out. So, um, it's it's already an interesting race. <laughs> yeah, you just spoke German to me, man. I don't do any any kind of NASCAR racing. Um, I I do like rally car racing. I'll watch like other forms of like racing. I don't mind like drag racing stuff like that. But uh, NASCAR, I grew up in a family of NASCAR watchers too. Mm. Like adamant, passed out, uh, you know, in the afternoon with a Keystone light on their belly watching NASCAR, you know? And if you change the channel, they, they woke right up. Like that was my, my, <laughs> my mom's ex-husband. That was my grandpa. That was most of the men in my family. Changed the channel. Oh. Like, hey, I was watching that. I was like, you were just snoring through like 40 laps. Well, you know, I, I I know people didn't tune in for the sports report, but I I did, you know, as I was watching kind of the pre-coverage of the race, um, they highlighted a, a big wreck that happened last year. And this was um, Ryan Newman on the last lap at Daytona. Um, just just horrific wreck. Uh, he was, you know, taken off the the track in on, on a stretcher in an ambulance. Oh, wow. Uh, he was in, a, in an induced coma uh, in the hospital. And he survived. He, he, good, he's back in good. the car. He, he finished the season. Uh, but it was one of those wrecks where, uh, you know, had it happened maybe 10 years earlier, 
um, or I, I, well, 20 years earlier, um, that, that would have been a fatality. And the, the story here and how I'll link this to, to you know, our subject is, um, so in 2001, I believe it, the, the Dale Earnhardt fans can set me straight. Um, but in 2001, Dale Earnhardt crashed into the wall at Daytona at like almost 200 miles an hour and was killed instantly. Um, an icon of the sport and uh, it, it, it sent shockwaves through the industry. And NASCAR had to respond by making safety improvements to the gear that the drivers are wearing, to the cars, and they installed what's called a safer barrier. And it's, it's sort of this relatively hard foam barrier that sort of brings the wall in about like two or three feet, but it will absorb the, that impact and reduce the risk of serious injury or fatality. And when this feature about Ryan Newman was featured, one of the things or, or you know, in, in that, that kind of list of things that you, you thank, that you're expressing gratitude for, uh, for surviving such a horrific crash, uh, he, he took a moment to thank all of the people before him that were in these horrific wrecks that, that suffered uh, serious injury or death. It's because of what they went through that these safety innovations came about and he survived his crash. And so, you know, it, it's, I, I guess, you know, we have the luxury of hindsight. We can look back on the history of certain products or events, sports and so on and see where things changed, why they changed, why these safety innovations came to be. And we know that, you know, now we don't have to live through that in, in I think other areas. Uh, and, and so I, I'm sort of taking this and, and, and trying to really apply it to what we're seeing with tobacco harm reduction in that we know that safer products exist. We know that safer tobacco products have been on the market for centuries. Smokeless tobacco is the original low risk alternative to smoking. But for some reason, we have such a, a moral hang up about these things that uh, we are going to have to relive. People are going to be unnecessarily harmed when we could be adopting the safer products. Uh, and it's just, there's, there's really no excuse for it. I, I mean, uh, it, it would be as if NASCAR watched Dale Earnhardt die and did nothing to protect the drivers. Yeah, That's where we're at with tobacco harm reduction now in our relationship with regulatory agencies and activist groups who are trying to put these products you know, in the dust. Um, so I've, yeah, I've managed I, to justify standing here and watching NASCAR. <laughs> you know, you started this out and it was really, I started like, I was like really inspired. I was like, I really like where Alex is going with this. And then the more you got going, it, I feel frustrated even more with tobacco control right now, because you're right. When you look at NASCAR, you've got Dale Earnhardt, you've got a number of other drivers who have suffered horrific crashes and accidents and even died. These are I don't want to dismiss any of it, but when you compare it to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dying every year, these are really mm -hmm. low numbers, but we've seen massive innovations and acceptance in these safety standards in going forward while still having people going in circles at 200 miles an hour. Yeah. They, we didn't stop doing that. We innovated and we made it safer for people to do this extremely dangerous thing. But we have we have all this technology and we have all this science behind us here in the field of tobacco and in, in drug harm reduction and all these things. And we're we're holding back. You know, it takes a, a, a I don't, again, I don't want to downplay or dismiss it, but it takes a few people 
to suffer in, in a sport like NASCAR to see massive changes and acceptance in those things. But what does it have? What does it take in tobacco or, or drugs to see that kind of innovation, that kind of safety, that kind of acceptance change while still, you know, accepting that these people are still going to do this, you know, possibly dangerous uh, activity thing, you know, whatever it may be. That's frustrating to see that kind of dichotomy there of like, you know, we're totally okay with people going 200 miles an hour for our entertainment and pleasure. And so we can buy cool hats, but we're not okay with people using nicotine, you know, in a vastly safer way. And that's, that's really frustrating. I started out really inspired. And then I just was like, now I'm really bummed because that's super frustrating. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, either way, I didn't mean to drag anybody down, but I hope, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's, it is, it's absolutely frustrating to, to kind of look it, at those two worlds because in my eyes i'm like well nicotine is so much safer than going 200 miles an hour in a box <laughs> yeah and you know it, 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 and nascar is voluntary you know there's no one that there's no one uh that that is, is born into this world with a set of keys in their hand right uh, and they must drive uh so it's 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 a voluntary recreational kind of thing certainly a, a very an honorable profession for yeah it's an people. adult choice yeah uh, but we don't actually need NASCAR to survive. <laughs> <laughs> this so, is true. Um, this is true. We don't. You know, again, it's uh, for entertainment but, and cool hats. But yeah, I mean, there's and there's many more parallels between NASCAR and vaping that I won't get into. Um, I, I I I love the history of NASCAR, and, and um, I mean, this is this is a sport that was born out of people, you know, bootleggers and, and running through the hills of North Carolina, sure, absolutely running moonshine. I mean, it's it's just the ultimate American experience kind of sport. Uh, and, and there's, there's just so many parallels and, you know, vaping, there's vapor companies that have had their, their logos splashed across NASCARs and, um, not anymore, but, um, you know, for, for those that managed to be able to afford that sponsorship for even one race, um, you know, getting that, getting these products out in front of people, um, you know, NASCAR is, 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 is typically associated with poor white Southern men. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of tobacco use in the South. So, um, exposing people who use combustible products to a smoke-free alternative is certainly very valuable, more valuable than the amount of money paid to put it on a car. I'm probably Um, wrong, but I feel like I remember seeing some form of vapor product. Maybe it was blue at one point advertised. I could be way off. mm -hmm. I could be wrong as to who it was, but I vaguely remember seeing that years ago. I think. I think I saw blue. Uh, I, I want to say totally wicked had this sponsored a car. That's an old company. Um, and, and, and probably something else. I, I I know there's been two or three of them. Yeah. I I have this weird vague image in my head of seeing blue on a, on a NASCAR. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just making that up on that note though, Alex, maybe we should start getting into some of this here. Um, so this is, uh, we're going to kind of start out guys with what, what we have actual on the site going out into the into the world calls to action um, right now for legislation coming up. So, Alex, what do, what do we have going on right now? Well, speaking of since we're, you know, on, on the topic of avoidable consequences, um, I figure we'll start with Minnesota. Um, right now, we have a call to action on our website for HF 904. And this is a flavor ban. Um, there is a hearing in the Preventive Health Policy Division uh, at 10.30 on Wednesday, February 17th. 
Um, we have, this is kind of a, this is a little bit less uh, convenient than our typical calls to action because we are trying to get messages to members of the committee. And uh, if you've followed us and, and, and read some of the, the notes here on this particular call to action, when we're trying to get people to communicate with the committee, um, it, we can't use this sort of automated version of a call to action, the, the point and click, send a pre-written email thing. Uh, you really need to contact the, the people through their email addresses. Uh, and so I've provided it, we've provided a common delimited email list for all the committee members. Uh, and you can use that to send your emails to them. Um, but, it, you know, legislatures sort of filter out email uh, that isn't constituent only. Uh, and so uh, this may get trapped in, in some sort of filter, but it's, it's, you got to at least try. Uh, and so this is a little bit of a workaround here. Um, and, and the justification that I have for that, that we have for that is, you know, committees are making decisions. Committees are where bills get marked up and amended before they go to the full, you know, to the floor of the House or the Senate. Uh, and so it's, it's really, these are the only opportunities that, that the public has to influence those decisions. And these are decisions that are being made that affect the entire state. So for members of the committee to uh, sort of exclude communications coming into them on a bill that the committee is hearing, uh, it, 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 it sort of it keeps people out of the process. So, um, you know, we, we are trying what we know how to do to, to get people uh, in contact with committee members. Um, so all of that. Being said, if you live in Minnesota and you care about flavored uh, vapor products, uh, check out our call to action. Um, the agenda is posted. The full bill is there. And make sure you read the committee rules. Um, the rules contain details about signing up to speak or, uh, you know, making sure you're sending written testimony to the appropriate person. Um, so uh, we're going to see a lot of that because of all these remote hearings this year. Uh, and uh, definitely take advantage of that information. Also, uh, we're including a link at the bottom of these types of engagements where you can just go ahead and find your lawmaker. Um, certainly contact everybody on that list that we provided, but you know, just type in your address and you can find who your lawmakers are and uh, reach out to them independently of this engagement. Uh, the was, other thing- If I was a Minnesota resident, um, Looking, looking at this call to action, there's about a dozen committee members on this list. I think, oh, yeah, a dozen, 12. Um, I, I, I personally would suggest people typing up something once, type up something, pull up a Word document, type up everything you want to say, and then copying and pasting that with each individual, sending it out to each individual. That would save obviously you as the consumer, the, the advocate time, is that something that you think would get flagged at all? Like if, if each person got the same email? Um, I, cause I'm always trying know. to, I, I'm I always trying think... to, to when Kasai used would put these out and I would, I would do my old show. I would try to tell people, you know, little tips and tricks, like have your, your vaping story, your success story, your snooze story, whatever it may be typed up, um, and ready to go and then copy and paste that right above the pre-written stuff from CASA. That way it doesn't get sent into like a spam folder because it's, you know, starting the same way as a bunch of other ones to, to make sure that people would put their stories in that, that box first before they sent that email out. It, would this 
something like this, would that, if each individual committee member got the same email, would that be like, would that flag anything? Or could people do that just to make it easier on themselves, save themselves some time? You know, as far as I know, I'm sure there are people on either side of the political divide on a committee talking amongst one another about what types of messages they're getting. I'm not really sure. Um, That's the type of stuff that's really supposed to be discussed in the committee uh, in front of the public. Um, So I don't don't think that, that you would be kicked out by some sort of, you know, spam filter. Um, and really the only place that I've had a problem with sending email to a a comma delimited list was, was here in New York and Albany County. Um, my, my testimony, it took me several attempts to, to email my testimony, um, because I was trying to send it to the entire, um, or there was a group of people that I was trying to send it to. Uh, I don't, there's, I think there's something wrong with my email, but it, whatever it, it, it's, we provide the comma delimited list for folks who really just want to send it once and done. Uh, I think sending the same message to each individual committee member is fine. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure that, that you, you take advantage of the talking points that we've provided. This is basically just a, a, a an outline of what your message, uh, the points that you should include. Uh, and, and it's all basically your, your, your experience with, with vapor products. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Cool. Uh, the other, in, in getting back to the, um, you know, preventable consequences here, in, in addition to stopping a flavor ban, uh, Minnesota is also looking at a tax. Um, and this is also going to be at a hearing on Wednesday. I don't have this up on the site yet. Uh, well, okay. As of Sunday, I don't have this up on the site, but if you're listening to this at some point on Monday, uh, if you're in Minnesota, you should have gotten an email about this and uh, definitely look for the engagement on our website. Um, This is HF991, and this would implement a 35% retail tax. So uh, the tax can be paid, I guess, by the retailer or the consumer, but whatever it is, it's 35% on the the, um, retail price of of your vapor products. yeah, scratch all that about like who pays it. Uh, there's some language in there about this, this kind of storage and use tax. Uh, and we discussed this, I think last week was uh, essentially what that means is that if you have products delivered to you from out of state uh, and, and that retailer didn't collect the tax from you or, or pay the tax, now you're responsible for paying the tax. Uh, so that's just something for consumers to be aware of. Um, but it is a 35% retail tax. Now, uh, why I'm going to focus on Minnesota is because there was actually some research done on Minnesota's vapor tax. And this is a a study that came out last year uh, in January. Um, And they looked at Minnesota, Minnesota was the first state to tax vapor products. And the way that they did it was they put the tax on nicotine. And so manufacturers kind of managed to sort of get around the tax by uh, only paying the tax on the nicotine that they were importing into Minnesota in order to manufacture e-liquids. So you're not paying 95% on a bottle of a finished product. You're only paying 95% on the small amount of nicotine that was actually used in making the bottle. Um, So that kept things affordable for products that were made in Minnesota, 
but for the longest time, I don't know how it is now, but you know, when I first started vaping and getting involved with advocacy, folks in Minnesota told me is that, yeah, we've got good liquids here in Minnesota, but if you want something like five ponds or, you know, some other kind of premium e-liquid that's made out of state and has to be shipped here, it's way too expensive. It is 95%. So um, it, it, it had an effect on people adopting the products and certainly the types of products that were accessible in Minnesota. Uh, and this study concluded that I think a little more than 32,000 people would have quit smoking had this tax not been enacted. The conclusion is that the Minnesota vapor tax, despite all the efforts by the industry to minimize the impact on consumers, actually prevented people from quitting smoking. Uh, and so we have at least one instance uh, of, of this, you know, being looked at very critically. Um, I, I believe uh, the, the folks who did this research, um, where did I wrote this down here? Uh, they're from the National Bureau of Economic Research. That's not a tobacco front group. <laughs> that's, right. that's the National Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, so this is, I guess you could say an impartial third party did this research and uh, we now have a, a pretty good look at evidence showing that raising taxes on vapor products actually have negative outcomes. Um, yeah. So it's one of those things that, you know, we kind of always, it's one of those things for most of us in this space to assume, right? You're like, yeah, that's going to have a negative outcome. If you mm -hmm. charge more, it dissuades people from switching at, you know, price point. We've, we talked about this a lot in the last episode. Um, but when you, when you can hand over, a significant study from the National <laughs> Bureau of Economic Studies or whatever you just said, wherever that was from, that holds a little more weight than yeah. just like our common sense assumptions. Yeah, well, and it's, I, I mean, it is more than our common sense assumptions, right? Like it, it's, it is a known phenomenon that when taxes go up on a particular product, uh, consumers will go to the nearest border. Uh, you know, hopefully to a state where, where the tax isn't active. I mean, this, this is what, something that happened in Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia, and it's another cigarette tax, but, um, you know, they, they raised the tax on cigarettes and uh, people just, you know, shopped outside of the, the county. Or, I mean, New York in and of itself is a great example of that when you're talking about cigarette taxes. Oh, yeah. I mean, New I York's cigarette tax here. It's great for Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, Vermont. Reservations do really well Maybe. here in New York as well. I mean, because again, we talked about that last time, you know, reservation uh, mm -hmm. prices and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. when you when you look at it, you go, yeah, you, you charge more in taxes. People are either going to A, substitute the product for something that's cheaper or more likely go get their product elsewhere. Yeah. 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 So uh, tax avoidance is totally legal and a known phenomenon. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's more than common sense. We, we just, we, we, there's, there's, it's documented. We know that this is happening. Um, so, uh, so yeah, just to refresh the HF 904, a flavor band and HF 991, uh, 35% retail tax, uh, in Minnesota. And those bills both have hearings on Wednesday, the 17th. Perfect. Um, the other thing I wanted to update on, I, again, uh, this will be something up on our website uh, today, <laughs> Monday. Time machine today. Um, 
And uh, there are, we, we talked about a half dozen bills in Texas. Um, so uh, we talked about that last week. Um, but uh, the, the, the two big issues here are um, a, a tax bill and uh, a flavor ban. Um, and then there's a five cent per milliliter tax bill as well. Uh, and so uh, just to run through the bill numbers at lightning speed so that everybody gets it. Um, get out your pen tax, and paper, everybody. <laughs> yeah, get out your pen and paper. Uh, so the, the tax bills uh, first is SB 216. Uh, and it has companion bills in the House, uh, which are HB 1255 and HB 1523. Uh, this is going to be Texas's attempt at tax parity with cigarettes, uh, a, a, a horrible idea, uh, even, yeah. even, even taxing these products at a slightly lower rate than cigarettes, we know has negative consequences. Uh, and if you want to hear Alex's spiel on how to do that tax parity math, he did it last <laughs> week. Uh, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you where to begin uh, with that, but you guys can go. You guys can go do some math. Alex taught us all how to do it last week. I'm fairly confident that there's someone out there who can, with their mouths, explain this better than I did. So <laughs> it, it may not be that difficult. It's just I, I had to do some mental somersaults to figure it out. Yeah. Hey, um, cognitive and then, gymnastics, man. Keeps yeah. the brain healthy. <laughs> um, and then the other bill here is SB 440. That's the flavor ban, including menthol. Uh, there is, however, an exemption for shisha or, or hookah products. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and then what did I do? HB 211, that's the five cent per milliliter tax. And then there's a licensing bill, SB 248. So anyway, um, look for that on our website. We're going to just post those bills up for information purposes. Uh, certainly the link to find out who your lawmaker is and what their contact information is. Um, but uh, this and probably some other states will be providing bills just simply for information. Uh, we don't have details on, on whether these are moving, which one's a priority, uh, and, and we'll update these things as we move along. Awesome. So that's, we've got uh, Minnesota in, Texas. Where are we going to on the map next? Uh, sunny Washington state. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Kicking it way over to the West coast. So, uh, there's, there's a lot of action going on in Washington state. Uh, one of the bills, I, I'm not even going to try to remember the number cause I will screw it up. Um, but the Washington state vapor association has been good about rallying folks, uh, consumers and businesses to participate on that bill, which has all kinds of nasty stuff in it. Um, it is a ridiculous bill and should absolutely die. Um, but, uh, you know, folks, it, it, it's going to require some, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one participation from the, the folks in Washington. Uh, and so, so we don't have an alert. Uh, WASFA, right? WASFA yep. is all over that. Yep. Awesome. Um, we don't have an, we don't have an alert up for that one, uh, yet anyway, uh, for now that's sort of boots on the ground are handling that. Uh, the one that we do have an alert up for is, is sort of a similar situation. Um, this is a, a 45% retail tax and a 2% cap on nicotine. Um, so uh, this is HB 1345. And this is another one like Minnesota. Uh, you know, this is a committee and we're trying to get people to send messages to all of the committee members. So all of their emails are up on the site. Um, the thing about this is, is that I, I sort of learned over this weekend that uh, apparently this is not a very high priority for the legislature. 
So um, we may not see much more out of this. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I, I, I stand by my, my typical thing to say, which is it's always an appropriate time to reach out to your lawmakers with a concern, um, but the urgency on this particular bill is not as high. Uh, and so um, that's pretty much the update. Um, I will say, it, while we're on the topic, there may be a lot of people out there thinking that this 2% nicotine cap is fine. And probably folks are sit out there thinking, well, if we give them the nicotine cap, then maybe they'll lay off the taxes and the other stuff. Um, that has never, in the history of vaping, that kind of thinking has really never worked out for anyone. Um, first of all, the 2% the cap on nicotine is absolutely arbitrary. It's not based on any science or evidence. Uh, it is, if anything, based on this misconception about the, the lethal dose of nicotine, um, which is, I think, uh, in, in, in some article, it, what is it, like 40 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, and, and the thinking there is that, uh, you know, while a baby is very small and doesn't weigh much, so it won't take much nicotine to kill a small child, um, which, you know, that is the reality that the dose makes the poison and your body weight matters. Um, but in terms of, you know, actually improving safety for people, the 2% nicotine cap is more likely to put people at risk of continuing to smoke or going back to smoke. Uh, so it's, it's something that, that, that Europe and the UK are going to need to go back and reevaluate that policy um, and, and, and come up with a, a a nicotine level or just do away with a nicotine level altogether um, so that people who smoke are more likely to completely transition to a smoke-free product. Um, other states, I've, I've seen other proposals that will cap it uh, at like 35%. Again, there's no, there's no science behind that. There's no science saying that 35% is better than 20% or that either of those are better than 5%. Oh, did I say 20%? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of nicotine. That's a lot of nicotine, uh, 2%. So there, there's, there's nothing, there's, there's no science saying 35 milligrams per milliliter is better than 20 milligrams per milliliter, or that either of those are better than 59 or 60 mil, milligrams per milliliter. Um, this is strictly, I think, people uh, kind of making some back of the envelope com, com, uh, computations. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of, what is uh, really just sort of hysteria about young people adopting these products, you know, for Americans, I think a lot of Americans actually believe that young people in the UK aren't using these products. Uh, they are, and the rates are somewhat similar. It's just when the UK looks at their numbers, they're not using the most kind of alarming way to talk about them. Uh, and so we have this thing in the United States about, you know, current use. If you've used a vapor product once in the past 30 days, you are considered a current user. That's, that's a misnomer. That, that doesn't make any sense. If and the UK actually looks at that as this is experimental use. And they right. don't make this big, wild, grandiose gesture to the public out of it. Right. Like we do. We, you know, we kind of we kind of mislead and, and we, we make a mountain out of a molehill kind of a situation here, as opposed yeah. to them saying, hey, this is, this is experimental use. And, and tobacco controllers have sort of justified that because they've taken this position that all tobacco bad. So, 
if you can if you can scare the 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 uh, uh, scare the bejeebus out of people, you know, especially and, parents, and, especially parents, um, you know, thinking that that this this horrible addictive drug is going to take over your child, um, if they if they do it even once, uh, then then they they justify that by saying, well, we've we've deterred a young person from from picking up nicotine yeah, from getting brain um, worms which is is it's another thing that we have data showing that you know scared straight campaigns actually make kids more curious about using oh, drugs yes yeah. dare i mean dare is a great <laughs> example of a massive failure in in you know drug education quote unquote education and prevention um, because it did neither of those things um, and it actually had really adverse effects on on young people's drug use um, yeah and it lost and, you know, its the, federal funding. Going back to this 2% cap um, and kind of in that frame of prohibition and drugs and whatnot, to me, this doesn't make anything over 2% go away. It just makes everything over 2% become illicit. Um, right. Those products exist. I mean, you're still going to have five, you know, puff bars and all these disposables and things like that that are, that are 5% that now you're not collecting taxes on, there's no age verification on, these products aren't being sold in, in um, you know, reliable uh, vape shops or places. These are products that are just going to get exchanged online, sold out of backpacks, who knows what's in them, there's no quality control, all of that goes out the window. All of your safety standards go out the window when you put something like this in. It doesn't make those products go away, they just shift from a regulated and safer market to an unregulated and unknown market. Yeah. And so that that's one of my first and foremost concerns is always consumer safety. And this has the opposite effect. This is this makes things less safe for consumers. Yeah. So Washington. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll see the nicotine cap stuff, you know, come up over and over again. Uh, you know, folks feel like. Uh, yeah. And I mean, if you think absolutely no one in the UK uses anything over two percent. You're also extremely mistaken. Um, yeah, it's just an arbitrary thing, like you said. You know, there's no, there's no evidence behind it. There's no scientific evidence to to back it up. So um, the other thing here, I don't have an update on Missouri, um, but that's a good thing because the next update we were expecting is this bill being called up for a floor vote. Um, as far as I know, it's not on a schedule that could change that that could change between the time we're recording this and the time you hear this on Monday. Um, so just keep your keep your ears to the ground. You're talking about um, SB 124? Correct. In Missouri? Okay. That's Missouri. So no update there, but just bringing it up because we do have an active engagement up for that. And that's um, a that's a 10% tax and a what do we got here a, in this bill? It's a ten percent tax and a public use ban. And a public use ban, um, which be, it would basically fold vaping into the same laws covering smoking. Right. Um, so you know, it's crazy how different those two things are: vaping and smoking. You you would assume <laughs> that they wouldn't go and get lumped in together, but you know. Well, you know, uh, maybe maybe I do need to talk about it because it, it's been a while since the the public use bans have been uh, sort of in the forefront of people's minds. I mean, uh, you know, several years ago, folks were were quick to jump on the volume vapors, the cloud chasers, 
and I'm going to uh, do that right now and, 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 and pin the blame on, on those folks, uh, for, for proposals to ban vaping indoors. Um, good work. You, the, the folks, the folks at home can't see it, but good work on that yeah. massive cloud. Do you like that cloud? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, you said cloud chasers and I, I got a setup right here. So I was like, yeah, I'll yeah. indulge um, Tell me all about it. <laughs> But, you know, no, it was not people volume vaping, cloud chasing. It's not the vaping competitions. It's not any of that 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 um, spurned people into proposing these uh, indoor vaping bans. They started in 2010. If anybody was attending a, a cloud blowing competition in 2010 <laughs> in like a Safeway or something, let me know. I'd love to see it. But it, it with your, wasn't with your single likes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, if yeah, if you were, if everybody was breaking out their ego twists in 2010, yeah. I don't even know if it was around in 2010. I don't know if ego twists were even around in 2010. I can tell you the very first vapor product I ever used was an Enjoy King in 2011. Yeah. So I, I, I it, it wasn't the cloud chasers that got vaping no. banned indoors in New Jersey. It was uh, people on a moral crusade to rid the world of evil tobacco. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's been the theme throughout. And, you know, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm with a lot of vapors in the, you know, if, if I know I can't smoke somewhere, I'm probably not going to vape. Um, that's, that's, that's when I used to vape, that's, that's how it was. Um, and, uh, but I've also been with a group of people at a restaurant, uh, you know, vaping very discreetly and, and no one around us knew, no one was bothered. Uh, and, and several of us even asked, you know, the, the wait staff, you know, hey, is it cool if we like if we keep it low key, do you mind if we vape? And they didn't have a problem with it. Of course, this was in Tennessee. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you know, bars and restaurants and people that work there, they know what's up. There's people working in the, the restaurant business smoke at disproportionately higher rates than the rest of the population. Sure, I did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough job, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, so uh, really, just on that thought really quick, years ago, I worked uh, as an assistant kitchen manager uh, in a restaurant and we had very busy Sunday mornings. We did a lot of breakfast stuff Sunday mornings and we had a, typically a four person like grill cook line, if you will. And it was like a mirrored line, two separate sides, two cooks on each side. Sunday mornings, we would bring in a fifth cook so we could we could have a rotator right? Mm. That we would have one guy, he'd go out and smoke, you'd still have four people on the line. When that guy got back, the next guy would go. And I mean, we would do I mean, we had lines, all the way that would wrap this building at this restaurant on Sunday mornings, you know, mm. we were doing 1015 $2,000 hours on Sunday morning. So our cooks were just silly, you know, just going just going nuts. And that's what you would get a cigarette break every 20 minutes, because that guy would just rotate through. Uh, yeah. 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 No, I, I did. I did delivery. I actually owned a, a, a takeout and delivery restaurant for a while, um, a couple of years. This is in a former life. Um, but, uh, you know, I used to know the distance between the shop and an address by cigarette. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this <laughs> yeah. run's going to take me two cigarettes to get there. Yeah. Um, this one's a, a cigarette and a half. This one, I've got a little bit. And do I really want to waste the I'll cigarette? I'll just bust out that little quarter of a cigarette that, that you know? butt that I put out earlier. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, and, and yeah. we didn't do $2,000 hours, but a $2,000 day for us was, was huge. Yeah. Um, and and it's, I mean, it was just subs and cheesesteaks. So, you know, making two grand out of, you know, a $7 sandwich. Yeah, it, it absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's busy. You got, you're fucking busy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's different too, when you're, you're running like a full size sit down 
restaurant and things like mm. that or whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's just how it was. Every other, you know, busy other nights, things like that, you would have three, maybe four cooks on. But a Sunday morning, that fifth guy was there and we would just rotate smoke breaks. You just yeah. went and then you'd come back 20 minutes and then you were out again. You go smoke again, you know, and that was it was really one of those things where like <clears throat> the the general manager of the restaurant was like, look you guys are putting out like seven minute checks. We're turning tables like crazy. You know, we were an extremely efficient grill line. That's because we were all, <laughs> we were all smoking like crazy, you know, yeah. but that was like the give and take. And it worked for us because what do your cooks want to do? Especially when all your cooks smoke and you have that high intensity, high stress situation, let them smoke. You're, you're going to get, you're actually going to get more productivity out of people like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you let them have their moment of reprieve, then you are, if you're just going to keep dragging them through whatever this is. So that was like the give and take thing. Like, did my boss want to bring in an extra cook that day? No, but could he afford to, because we had seven minute check times and $2,000 hours. Yeah, absolutely. And none of his cooks would walk out or quit or whatever, because you know, we were all, we were all going out to smoke every 20 minutes. Now, granted, had I been able to uh, vape back then and hand all my my line cooks vapes and we weren't all smoking, that would have been much better, obviously. But um, but yeah, sorry, we got way off topic there. You just it, 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 you brought that up and I had to share that story with everyone. But yeah, just to say, I'm sure that the, the, the tobacco controller voice in my head is saying like, well, they just hire a bunch of cooks that don't smoke. And well, then they man, don't have to take a good break. help is hard to find. Right. I mean, if you have cooks that can do quality that kind of thing and like that's the only give is you know and trust me we were never out for five minutes i mean you had guys that would just like suck down a cigarette in 30 seconds and they're back on the line you know it was it was honestly it was probably more profitable really when you think about it to have that kind of setup than it would be to have cooks who are frustrated and flimsy and putting out poor quality food having things come back all these different things that can happen instead of just keeping your cooks happy you know and and the nicotine is helping them focus and they're getting things done. So <laughs> there we go. Yep. Trip down memory lane for me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't ever want to work in a restaurant back. again though, ever. It's terrible. <laughs> well, speaking of memory lane, I think that's, I, I'm, I'm pretty much finished um, with the uh, legislation as far as what we've got up on our site. Uh, and I, I, I think there's um, more stuff coming in the the coming days uh we got some states raising the age to 21 um that's just kind of one of those things that's going to happen there are some bills in hawaii coming up uh hearings the interesting note about hawaii um each bill seems to go through like three or four committees on each side of of the legislature um so there are several opportunities to get engaged um, I have not looked into participating in these hearings just yet. Um, I know that Lindsey Stroud and Greg Conley, um, I think both uh, uh, did or, or tried to get in to testify in some, some Hawaii hearings last week. Um, but uh, the, someone had, had in a, I think a little bit frustrated with my delay in getting something out in Hawaii last year, pointed out that if you are going to submit testimony to a bill in Hawaii, it has to be in 24 hours before the hearing starts. Um, so if you're in Hawaii uh, or plan to go visit Hawaii, uh, the, uh, the rule is make sure your testimony is in 24 hours in advance. Um, so there is a tax bill coming up on February 17th. Um, don't have anything up for this yet, 
but uh, and, I, and I don't really have the details on what that tax will be. Um, but all of that to say, um, that is another state that that uh, keeping an eye on and tends to be very frustrating every year. It's very easy to lose track of bills in Hawaii if you're not familiar with how things work there. I lose track of Hawaii just in general, just because it's so far away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out there in the middle of the ocean, it's all the way on the other side of the country, you know. Yeah. Um, there's uh, So Oklahoma has a tax bill uh, hearing coming up on February 19th. So that's next Friday, this Friday. Um, and there's another tax bill in Arkansas, uh, SB 45. Um, and I think the folks in Arkansas alerted us to that. So I'll probably be putting that up as well soon. Um, so yeah, things are happening this week. Be on the lookout for new announcements from us. Um, if you're in Arkansas, Hawaii, um, yeah. So uh, just for everybody out there in the SoundCloud description as well, obviously, uh, I will always have a link directly just to Kassah's site, uh, but I will also have links to uh, what calls to action uh, as of today, uh, Sunday, that are up that we just went through uh, and any of the other ones that Alex is going to have up this week. Uh, just be sure to check right over at Kassah.org. Uh, head right over there because he will have those posted as well. All right. That's for our, our calls to action. Uh, we got a little bit of time left today, Alex. I thought maybe we could uh, hop into maybe a little discussion uh, in, into some of this here on this week's blog post. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to go over? There was one little snippet here that I wanted to uh, just address really quickly because I think it speaks volumes. <clears throat> and this is under the, the public health policy consequences section here on the blog. Um, Flavor ban bills SB 177 and HB 134, quote, are unjust, unscientific and reactionary policies that would have negative public safety outcomes. And that comes from Major Neil Frankman, who's a veteran of the Maryland State Police and Baltimore Police Department and former executive director of LEAP. This is a quote that I think speaks volumes because he's a veteran of the Maryland State Police. So we're, we're talking about kind of on the other side of we're talking about law enforcement now saying this is unjust unscientific and it's going to have negative public safety outcomes. And I'm really glad that he chose not to say public health outcomes because he, he stayed kind of more in his realm here speaking to public safety, being, you know, a, a state police officer um, and knowing what these like prohibitionary things, what the outcomes are and what officers have to deal with and, and him kind of saying like, you know, we don't want to deal with this. Like this is, this is going to have, this is a bad thing. It's a reactionary policy. It's going to have negative public safety outcomes. And then it falls on law enforcement to enforce these things that are bad ideas, you know? And I just think that that, that kind of, that speaks a lot of volumes about this idea that like, you know, law enforcement just wants to go out and arrest people for these things and, you know, find people for these things or whatever. They don't, they don't want to deal with this. They know that they shouldn't have to deal with this, that this is a bad thing. And so to see, you know, see even a former uh, state police officer speak out on it, I think is, is a really powerful message. Yeah. So in that, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of groups here in, involved in this that, that I think are really challenging the narratives being put forward by, you know, the, the campaign and, and all the other groups. 
Um, but yeah, you know, Major Franklin is from uh, law enforcement against prohibition leap. Uh, and uh, I, I've seen this organization speak out a couple of times. Uh, I think they may have been represented in New York City um, uh, and, and, a, and a couple of other hearings. And it, it is, it's, it's always really powerful for me to see law enforcement speaking out against um, bad drug policy. Um, you know, but in my, in my transition from uh, being a, a drunk person to a not drunk person, uh, I, I did, uh, I, I went to school for criminal justice for a semester. And I was always, one of my professors was a retired uh, SWAT and she taught the criminology course. And uh, at the very beginning of the course, she, she had bad things to say about the, the war on drugs and how it was so harmful and, uh, and remarked that, you know, her and her colleagues, once they were retired, uh, they felt they could publicly speak out against the war on drugs. Uh, and so it is really interesting to see law enforcement um, stepping up on this issue, on this particular issue. Uh, and, and I think, you know, this, this strengthens something that, that I, I think Kassaw has been saying for years uh, is that there, there is this parallel, and I, I think it's, it's, it's not really parallel, it's part and parcel of the drug war. What we're seeing, uh, the, the regulations against tobacco products, against people who smoke, against people who vape, uh, it, 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 it really is, it's failed drug war tactics. And from the law enforcement side of things, these, these people who are coming out and speaking out against these policies they know that these policies are ripe for abuse because they've seen it. They've lived yeah. it. Yeah, uh, exactly. and, and, and I'm sure that somebody can dig up the studies on all of this stuff. Hopefully the studies exist. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it really is important. I think for, and we said this last week, I think when we were talking about it, cops, cops don't want this burden. Uh, yeah. it, is, it is, it not only is it a risk for the citizen that they have to approach, it's a risk for them. You're putting law enforcement in situate in unnecessary situations where the, 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 it could escalate and, and people get hurt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All just bad all around, just bad all around unjust, unscientific reactionary policies. Yeah. It's a great quote. Um, and I just, I just wanted to kind of highlight that from this week's blog. Um, what do you have for us? What did anything you wanted to highlight out of this week's blog? I think it's a great blog this week. So I'm, I'm also going to make sure that um, the link directly to the, I'm just going to link to everything on the website <laughs> in every episode. Um, but there'll be a link directly to this blog for, for things that me and Alex don't have quite enough time to cover this week. But um, is there anything that you wanted to highlight this week, Alex? Uh, well, yeah, just a couple of notes uh, for folks who live in Maine, be on the lookout for a, a really horrible campaign called Flavors Vote Kids. Um, this is this is funded by the Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids who are you know funded by all kinds of other people. Um, and uh, I don't know how else to say this other than this is probably the most successful marketing campaign anybody could come up with to get kids interested in vaping. Um, this is, uh, you know, it, it's by virtue of showing people the tobacco ads, you're basically marketing these products to them that the ads were not designed to be, um, you know, uh, deadpan evidence in some sort of trial. They were designed to market pe market products to people. Uh, and so, and I made this point actually to, to a group of teenagers here in Plattsburgh one year. 
who they were showing me the materials that they got, you know, from whatever activist group was pushing them to get in into city hall. Uh, and, you know, I, I just looked at them and I said, you know, that company didn't actually put that ad in your hands. The campaign for tobacco free kids did. They, they're the ones that exposed you to this ad campaign that went off the air at this point, you know, what, five years ago. Oh uh, yeah. It, it didn't, it didn't get a whole lot of, uh, of views. It didn't garner a whole lot of interest from, from people. And that's why they took it down. At least that's their argument. Uh, but now it's, it's immortalized in this pamphlet that you've been carrying around and you and your friends have all been exposed to this marketing in a, in a situation where you otherwise would not have been. Um, so there's, there's one problem with this campaign. Um, and of course, you know, banning flavors is ridiculous, but I will just hammer this home because I think this is an important point that uh, more and more people need to bring up. Um, this campaign is basically, you know, predicated on this, this, this lie that incumbent tobacco companies made the vapor industry and that these tobacco, these, the same tobacco companies that brought you Joe Camel are now bringing you bubble gum and cotton candy flavored vape sauce. Um, none of that is true. Uh, the, in the way that I communicate this to people is that the timeline doesn't fit that narrative. Uh, anybody who has been following vaping for a couple of years, I'm sure you've got those people who are just infinitely curious and in everything they put their hands on and they know the whole history of the product. Um, but you know that this was an, a consumer driven industry. It was built by people who adopted the products and then wanted to share that with their communities. Uh, and so it, it, it really is, it's this underdog comeback story. It, 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 it speaks to the social justice elements of this. I mean, think about people who smoke as their own vulnerable population. These are people who, if you're looking at, if you're looking at us from the perspective of someone in tobacco control, then the, the narrative is that we are all victims of cigarette companies. We were all duped into smoking cigarettes because we thought it looked cool, or if you were born before 1996, um, you thought maybe it wasn't that harmful. Actually, that's nonsense. I was born in 1975 and I've known that cigarettes are dangerous my entire life. Um, you know, whatever it was, you were tricked into smoking. You, you didn't make this decision on your own. You have no agency. You didn't have agency in the face of tobacco advertising. And you certainly don't have agency now that you're addicted to nicotine. So you are a victim of tobacco companies. That's, that's, that's how they paint us. Um, you can't have it both ways though. And uh, you know, this, the real story here is that this vulnerable population of people, quote unquote vulnerable population of people took the power back, modified these products to suit our needs. And then some of us started businesses and actually went toe to toe with tobacco companies. The vapor industry, I think, has done more to challenge the wallets of tobacco companies than any tobacco control policy ever in the world, and including the Tobacco Control Act. All the Tobacco Control Act did was create a safe harbor for in incumbent tobacco companies. It, it made com competing with existing tobacco companies near impossible. The vapor industry is finding that out now with having to go through the PMTA process. Just doing the research to put into your application is such a high bar that all the, the small to medium manufacturers out there are struggling to be able to afford just the application. Uh, and so that is by design. It's not a bug, that's a feature of the law. And 
by virtue of, 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 of keeping people out of the market, they have protected sales of cigarettes. So even the Tobacco Control Act really has failed at challenging the tobacco company's hold on the market. It was the independent vape shop, the independent vapor manufacturer that took this fight to Big Tobacco's wallet. And they were, they were winning. We were winning until all of these regulations kicked in and the industry got challenged. So um, yeah, that's for the flavors hook kids and blah, blah, blah. I I'm, don't ignore it, but if, if, if folks have the opportunity to argue about this, um, and, and I say argument in that purely kind of intellectual. I don't, I don't want you beat red in the face and spit flying out of your mouth, yelling at somebody. But if you want to have an argument about this, remind people on the other side of what the actual timeline of events is. And uh, we need to add some of that color to our timeline on our website. Uh, but it, it is there. This was not, this industry was not built in a Reynolds lab somewhere. No, um, it, no. It, it came from the people who really used, who used yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, what... Uh, uh, you know, incumbent tobacco companies didn't even really move into the, the vapor space in any major way until what, 2012, 13, somewhere in that realm, um, like that. where the industry had already been innovating for years. At and, that and point. even when they did move in, the, the products were, were mediocre. Yeah, and, yeah. And people didn't really, and this, you know, there was nobody, I don't know if there was anybody out there being like, oh my God, Mark 10 is the, that's the jewel killer. Or, you know, Mark 10 is going to replace every open vapor product that you've ever seen. Yeah, so maybe it was no, that, that 2011-ish. I think it was somewhere between 2011 and 2012 is when I first tried e-cigarettes. I, I bought an Enjoy King at the time and it came in the, the box that looked like a pack of cigarette box and... Mm -hmm. Um, it didn't work for me. That was, I don't have much more to share on the topic, but I <laughs> bought one in interest because I, I was actively trying to, to quit. And I had, this is kind of an era, a few years there, I tried different products. I had tried gums and lozenges, um, to no avail. And I picked one of those up at a gas station one day, just thinking, Hey, maybe, maybe this will help me, you know, quit smoking. Um, it didn't at the time. It didn't help me. Uh, they weren't very good. Um, and it turned me off to vaping actually for a really long time for about six more years or so until I actually visited a vape shop. And I spoke to a knowledgeable employee who sat down with me and explained all this technology and worked with me and my nicotine and my needs and what I, you know, what I found satisfying flavor wise and this whole big process. And then I ended up quitting. Um, but yeah, those products back then were, were not great. So even when tobacco companies moved into the space, the independent vapor space was putting out far better superior products than what tobacco could even, you know, bigger tobacco companies could, who could afford to do all these grandiose things still weren't putting out those products. The independent vapor space was. Yeah. Enjoy was never big tobacco in case. anybody. Yeah. Wanted. Sorry. Sorry. Just, just to make that clear. Huge shout out um, to enjoy though. Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic company. You're right though. My, my yeah, they, mistake. They it. did have that line of uh, bottled e-liquid. They did. They did. Yeah. It was, it was pretty good. I, I regret not vaping more of it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I know we're coming right up on the hour here and I have one more thing. I, I think we can end on a mixed note if you're ready. Oh, cool. Mix it up, brother. <laughs> so, um, you know, since we are talking about our, 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 our switching stories, um, this past week marks eight years smoke free for me. Um, I, I quit. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I quit uh, by switching by accident in 2013, February 8th through 11th. It was a process. Um, quitting is a process. 
Uh, switching is a process. Doing all kinds of things is a process. Not, there's no magic to any of this. Um, but to me, it felt like a miracle. I, I, I picked up a Logic and an Enjoy, two different gas stations. Uh, and uh, within a, a period of like eight hours, I, I came to the conclusion that I could switch to vaping. Uh, I, I liked the flavor of the, the mint. It was like a sweet mint Logic. Uh, and I, was, I smoked menthols. Uh, and so, uh, it was just a cleaner experience. And I mean, throughout the rest of my day, I was smoking less and less of my cigarette. I just, I wanted the vapor product instead. Uh, it was a much cleaner experience. And I felt like, you know, you could feel that sting, that throat hit. And that was what convinced me that I could switch. One very important point about throat hit is it comes from the nicotine and, uh, it depends on the nicotine level. Um, you know, when you wake up first thing in the morning and if you've ever, it doesn't kind of matter what level of nicotine you vape, but if you haven't vaped for a while, you get that sting first thing in the morning and then it kind of gets dull for the rest of the day. Um, so anyway, that, that to me, that's always, that's, that's an important feature. I like the, I like that sting. I need that. Um, and so, uh, but they, they didn't, they like you, they didn't work for me. I, I got through until about halfway through Saturday and I started getting angry for no reason. Uh, and, and I, I immediately went to the internet to see why I was doing it wrong. Uh, and, and that's where I stumbled upon Grim Green. Uh, and so it was through watching Grim Green reviews and, uh, he had a really great video about like taking the next step in vaping. Like you've started with these single like things, but now you want something more. Uh, and, and so I, that it was through his recommendations that I got my first starter kit, which arrived on that Monday, which was February the 11th. And I haven't had a cigarette since. So congrats, man. See, that was my mistake. I just didn't find Grim Green. I just went and <laughs> bought a pack. I just went and bought a pack of camels. That was that was where you and I diverged. I was like, well, this doesn't work. This is I looked at it honestly, and I was really young too. You know, I was uh 2011, I was 20, mm. you know. Um, and so for me, I just looked at this as like, oh, e-cigarette, it's like a gimmicky thing. You know, I didn't know anything about them, I didn't know the value that they held nothing. It was just like, maybe this little thing will help me stop smoking. And then when it didn't, I was just like, well, that was neat and fun, you know, and I just <laughs> went back to smoking for another six years. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not quite there. Eight years. Congrats, man. Yeah. This, this August, if we're still doing this, I'll, sh I'll share more of my my in-depth story uh when we make it to august that'll be my four years well you know who who we're going to need to bring back is is julie 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 weston is going to come have to come on and, and celebrate her um her vaporversary she's 12 she's something like 12 13 like a, years yeah it, wow. it's, it's uh and, and man uh, julie has got some stories so um i have a, a buddy in the uk had, who's been vaping for about as long something like 2008 maybe uh, I, yeah. I believe is when he quit smoking with, with vapor products. So yeah, maybe I, I can reach out to him as well. And we can have like this big, you know, decade plus quitters episode with, yeah. uh, with, with some folks on to talk about. Um, I, I'd love, I'd love to hear people talking about how they didn't grow a third eye and they don't have lung cancer and, you know, yeah, and they didn't horrible predictions about what's going to happen to people who vape or, or coming yeah. through. So and they never ended um, up with lungs full of Orville Redenbacher or anything like yeah. that. So. And, and, and generally, I think just, you know, it, it, it's it's important to celebrate, you know, everybody who's, who's been able to make the switch who didn't think they were going to be able to quit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's that's a good motivator for folks who might be out there. So um, but the, uh, the the mixed bag here was um, 
really related to Grim Green. Uh, you know, it was it was Nick who who who, who uh, helped me through understanding the vapor products. Um, but this past week, you know, he he had another uh, I think a really um, important observation, uh, and and this was in relation to uh, the lung injury cases. And he put up a tweet earlier this week um, or at the end of the week. Uh, sort of reminding people about, you know, remember the time in, in 2019 when Public Health England had to come out and reassert their uh, conclusion that vaping is safer than smoking and that people who smoke uh, should be encouraged to switch to these products. Um, the reason that Public Health England had to do that was because of all of this, the, the quote unquote e-valley hysteria, which I refer to as lung injuries. Um, and, and, and the misinformation coming out of the CDC in the United States. Um, and, and this is a really big reminder here that, um, you know, when we get people engaged and we're asking people to take five minutes of their day and share their story with a lawmaker and urge them to oppose these horrible regulations, what's going on in America has a ripple effect around the world. Um, one of our most horrible exports is bad policy uh, and bad tobacco policy specifically right now. Um, you know, our, our health agencies, the CDC, the FDA, NIH, um, these, these are organizations that are uh, held in high regard around the world. And so there are other CDCs in other countries taking cues from our CDC. Um, and, and that's that's why Public Health England had to step up and reassure UK citizens that vapor products are safer than smoking. Uh, it, it is, it, it, it's just, it's remarkable how much, you know, bad ideas and bad decisions in the United States can actively harm people in other parts of the world. Uh, and, and so thanks to Nick for, you know, reminding us of that. Um, and indeed, you know, I, I think we, we all need to be pushing back as, um, as, as passionately as we can, uh, within reason here, uh, to, you know, challenge this, challenge the misinformation and challenge the narrative, um, and, and, you know, really make sure that, that people do understand that smoke-free tobacco and nicotine products are demonstrably safer than continuing to smoke. Uh, and no one should feel discouraged from trying these products. Um, and, and that's, that's why we're here. So, um, that, that's the mixed bag. There's, there's always, you know, a little good news, a little bad news. Yeah, long no, I think news. that was fantastic. And I think that's a great place to wrap this week up. Uh, cause I think that's a really positive message for everybody out there, you know, uh, just continue to, to fight for not only your right to safer alternatives, but for, for everyone else's as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're all in this together, man. That's, that's, yeah. that's the, the, the key here. Uh, we're all in this together. So Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. That was really inspiring. You started off by inspiring me earlier. <laughs> then I got kind of bummed out. And now I feel really inspired again, man. Look at all that's you just took me on a roller coaster ride today, my friend. Just that's an emotional perfect. roller coaster ride. Fantastic. <laughs> well, it was perfect for Valentine's Day, I guess. Yeah. All right. Go. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, I guess that's where we're going to wrap up. As always, guys, uh, head right over to casa.org, C-A-S-A-A.org. Uh, please, if you're not a member yet, please 
uh, become a member, share your testimony on the testimony testimonial page. Uh, Alex, how many testimonies does Kasa have right now? It's uh, I want to say it, it's it's north of thirteen thousand six hundred. Yeah, let's okay. get that even higher, everybody. Yeah. Get in there, drop your testimony, share your stories, reach out to your lawmakers. As Alex always tells us, it is always a good time to reach out to your lawmakers, uh, and be sure if you are. You know, in Minnesota, if you're in Washington, if you're in uh, Missouri, Texas, the places that we've talked about today, make sure, please, that you are actually getting involved um, in what's going on, because not only is it for you, but it is for your friends and family and everyone around you as well. I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. Got anything else for anybody, Alex, today? No, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for participating. I hope you had a great weekend and we'll see you next week. We're out of here.